Welcome to Something Rhymes with Purple. And today we're in a state of high excitement because we're feeling the global magic, the purple people phenomenon. There's a fan-run Facebook page, a new social media for purple, Twitter, Instagram, maybe soon TikTok, who knows. Purple genuinely is has gone global. So we're starting a new series where once a month, we're going to go global and travel to a different place around the globe. And today, Susie Dent, we are off to Canada and specifically Ottawa, the capital of Canada. Now, Susie, you're in Oxford, England at the moment. Have you ever been to Canada? I have. I went when I was about 13. I had just done my exams and we went to visit some relatives that we had over there near Toronto. And, you know, I just remember the nature, Giles. I just remember the woods. We went um, for a little while, we went and camped on this beautiful little island. It was one of many, I mean, it literally was just uh, uh, across the water. I don't even remember what it was called. I don't think it was even a landmark, but it was this beautiful, tiny little island. We took out canoes and and tires that people would, uh, in speedboats, would would pull along the water. But it was just just the quiet and the trees, and you know how much of a, a tree lover I am, and how the Japanese call this Shinrin Yoku, forest bathing. I did that aplenty. Toronto, of course, very different. I mean, very cosmopolitan, great vibe. At 13, I probably wasn't quite old enough to appreciate it, but I would so love to go back and I haven't yet. How about you? I dress up, you know, as a pine tree in the hope that you will hug me, but it's never really worked. <laughs> I know Canada extremely well. Okay. There's almost everybody in Britain has Canadian relations. The late Queen, I think Canada was the part of the world she had visited more often than any other part of the world. And I feel I've spent so much of my life in Canada that I almost feel Canadian and I could almost be Canadian. I didn't know this. My grandmother in the 1880s, my grandmother, her parents died and she was sent by the relatives that she was left with. They couldn't cope with her as a little girl. So she was sent, and thousands of others were, to Canada as a child to find a new life. And she arrived in Canada, and at the docks, there were people who came uh, who were wanting to adopt children. And so my grandmother went and was picked up by a family, and her name was Mary Leach, but the family was called Bishop, and they wanted to call her Mamie Bishop. And she was only... 12 or 13, and she didn't like them changing her name to Mamie Bishop. She was the youngest girl in the house. There was an older brother who was called Billy Bishop. He's one of the great heroes of Canada. One of the airports in Toronto is called the Billy Bishop Airport. He became a First World War air ace, the most decorated Canadian I think probably in history. He won the Victoria Cross, and movies have been made about him. Film And my grandmother was his adopted sister. And wow. she, did, she didn't like him. She didn't like the Bishop family. And so eventually they fell out and she left the bishops and went back to the adoption agency. Uh, and she was reallocated to a new family who were a family of missionaries. And she, they were very into the church. And she, she trained as a missionary at the uh, Toronto Bible College and then went out to India as a missionary where she lived for many years. And then when my her children were born, my uncle Jack and my mother, and then when they were teenagers, the whole family moved back to Canada. 
My mother went to Toronto University. My uncle, Jack, joined the Bank of Nova Scotia and eventually became the manager of the Toronto branch of the Bank of Nova Scotia. Oh, great. I had no idea about any so of this. I am, I am virtually Canadian. So you have Canadian blood. I, I have yeah. Canadian blood. And not only that, I have a grandson. My my daughter, Scythrit, married uh, a Canadian. Uh, my, my grandson, who is called Rory McConaughey, he has both British and Canadian citizenship. But we're really here to talk about language, aren't we? So, so I will now shut up. I will later drop names galore. You, you may think I boast about having met every British prime minister, Canadian Prime Ministers, I go back to Mr. Diefenbaker. May mean nothing to you. I don't know Mr. Diefenbaker. He was a very distinguished Canadian Prime Minister in the 1950s and 1960s. I met him. But I will now zip my Canadian lips and listen to you telling us, well, giving us maybe a a sort of brief history of Canadian English, because is it different from British English? Yes, and there there is such a thing as Canadian English. Certainly amongst North Americans, there's a bit of a stereotype that Canadians are just the same as Americans, except they say a a lot at the <laughs> at the end of their sentences. But then many Canadians will tell you that Canadian English is a bit more like British English. They call the letter Z Z instead of Z. Oh. Uh, they spell colour and centre uh, and rumour and honour the same as we do. But it does exist as a separate variety of English. And it's interesting because it straddles in some ways British and American English. And a, a sort of Canadian history will explain that a bit. Um, because in the beginning, obviously, just as in North America, there were the indigenous peoples. They had a, a just astonishing linguistic variety. And they are still there, but not, I think, privileged as much as they should be. Then we had the French in the 17th century who kind of uh, colonised the region of the St. Lawrence River. And then in the mid-1700s, England was at war with France. And then there was the Treaty of Paris in the uh, 1760s. And that ceded what was called New France to England. And the, the English or the British allowed any French people and French speakers to stay as long as they obeyed the king and as long as they became subjects of the king, really. Then we had the American Revolution and we had a lot of people going over from North America who were loyalists. They wanted to flee American independence and they were then given land in Canada, which explains the American influence because a lot of its speakers had come from the American colonies. But then they were sort of joining, if you like, a sort of British-English community, if you like. So that explains the sort of varieties that you will find within Canadian English. And it is very distinct. And it is deliberately distinct because just as the North Americans after the War of Independence wanted to have their own linguistic identity, the British wanted theirs, the Canadians wanted theirs too. So huge amounts of influx and influence on Canadian English, just as there is on any important variety of English, really, including ours. Why is the country called Canada? Where does the word Canada come from? So Canada Canada itself, I mentioned the indigenous languages, that probably has its root in the language of one of them, which was the the Huron-Iroquois tribes. And it's said to come from Kanata, which means village, uh, you know, showing just how uh, how small, you know, this, this early settlement was and it grew from there. So that's where we think it came from. And Canadians are known as Canucks quite often, but that is quite derogatory. It can be used as a bit of an insult. Canuck apparently comes from that first syllable of Canada. But as far as I can tell, please be careful how you use it. But obviously our wonderful purple Canadian listeners can tell us whether that's the I'd case. I'd be interested to know because, I mean, as I say, I really know Canada well and I've never heard anyone 
uh, use the word canook. Hmm. Can I just tell you one of them, which which is relevant to North America and possibly Canada, and it only ever comes up on Countdown, and I've never heard it used anywhere. And again, purple people, please let me know if this is used in your neck of the woods. A waitron, which is supposed to be the gender-neutral term for a waiter or waitress. A waitron. Has anybody ever used that word? No. No. I don't think so either. We may be Clear the air on that if you're in Canada. Hey, because you've got some of the cleanest air in the world. Well done. And your friendly people, they've got these gorgeous lakes, delicious maple syrup. Oh, and we're going to come on to the... I love maple syrup. And the moose. Oh, I love the moose. Well, let's begin with some specific Canadian words, can we? Actually, words that have a kind of Canadian origin. Are there any? Yes and no. There are ones, obviously, that are particular to uh, Canadian English, but quite often, as is, you know, frequently the case, their etymology has taken them through several different languages and several different branches of English until it came there. So you mentioned poutine. Uh, That obviously came uh, from French. That is delicious. I'm guessing you like it, do you? I can't imagine you eating poutine. It seems too junky to to me, but I love it. quite like it. I mean, when I was there as a teenager, I was stayed with my Uncle Jack and Aunt Ede. And to be honest, they preferred a Canadian whiskey to almost anything else. Uh, so I, I can't remember much more than that. Go on. Oh, okay. So this is not like poutine. This is not like the illicit potato-based liquor or alcohol. This is poutine, which is very different. This is chips topped with cheese and gravy. Oh. Yeah, very, oh. very different. And this is um, Canadian French. I think it comes either from the French uh, pudding, pudding, or directly from pudding itself. But uh, it doesn't taste like any sweet pudding. It's definitely the savoury kind. So it's chips and gravy, essentially, with a kind of cheesy curdy sauce well, on top. Well, interesting. I've spent a lot of time in Montreal, and which, you know, is, is French Canada, and I've never been offered a poutine. I can't wait. Yeah, no, you've got lots of places in uh, in Britain now will offer you poutine. It's uh, it's it's lovely. Give I us some it. more Canadian words with a Canadian flavour. Okay, so there is uh, a toque, which you will find everywhere. Do you know well, what I know is? what a toque is. It was a hat worn by people <laughs> like Queen Mary. I say toque. Obviously, everyone else says toque. Yes, a winter hat. Uh, Harriet, our, our um, producer here, has told us it's pronounced toque. So what do we know? No, it's pronounced toque. Is it toque? Okay. Certainly Queen Mary, who made toques famous, would refer to it as a toque. But okay. um, maybe in Canada, they call it something else. So that's the go-to word for uh, for a hat there. We have bunny hug, which I like. And a bunny hug is a sort of hoodie. It's a, a hooded sweater. And I love that. And also staying with fashion, what about the Canadian tuxedo? Now, I do know about this because I remember I had three cousins, Uncle Jack and Aunt Ede's children, and I went to some of their weddings. And I remember hearing about the Canadian tuxedo, which isn't a tuxedo at all. It's not a dinner suit. It's a term for a sort of informal outfit, isn't it? It's double denim. It's uh, denim on denim. So apparently the story behind it is that Bing Crosby, the singer and the actor, wanted to enter a hotel. We're talking about the 1950s here. But he wasn't allowed in because he was wearing jeans and a denim jacket. This obviously made the papers. And so Levi Strauss and company, who obviously are behind the jeans, Levi's, they designed him a tuxedo made entirely of denim. Isn't that brilliant? That is brilliant. Do you know the story of, I think it's Richard Burton and Peter O'Toole, who are out promoting their one of their films, Beckett, I think they both starred in that, in Edinburgh, and they were turned away from the grand restaurant in the hotel they were staying 
which is now called the Balmoral Hotel, was then called, I think, the North British. And they were turned away because they were not wearing uh, a tie. Neither was wearing a tie. And they said, mm. don't you know who we are? And the hotel manager said, we know exactly, the you know exactly who you are. And we're thrilled to have you here. But I'm afraid, old-fashioned restaurant, there's a house rule, you've got to wear a tie in the restaurant. He said, it's not a problem. I've got two ties here in the drawer I can give you. So Richard Burton, Peter O'Toole, took the ties, went off to the uh, cloakroom and returned a few minutes later and walked into the dining room at the North British Hotel wearing their ties and nothing else. Oh, seriously? Seriously. True story. Told to me by somebody who was working as a a bellhop at the time at the hotel. Yeah. That's Um, brilliant. What a story. Douglas Douglas Ray told me that, film producer. This feels like a time for a Canadian name drop. We haven't had one yet. Well, I I mean, forgive me. I've given you uh, John Diefenbaker. And and I'm interested that you haven't really heard of him. He he was a giant. When I first went to uh, Canada, he was a giant. He was the prime minister, late 60s to 70s. That was his time. Uh, He was the person, I think, who famously said when he became a member of parliament in Canada, in Ottawa, when he arrived there in his opening speech, he said, um, you know, when I was a boy... I didn't believe that um, anybody could get into the Canadian Parliament. And now I'm here, I realise that anybody can. Um, (laughs) He was, I haven't got that quote quite right. But so I met him when he was quite an old man. And I I met, of course, Monsieur Trudeau, uh, the father of the present Canadian Prime Minister, who was considered a very glamorous and attractive figure. But my encounters with Céline Dion, I shall tell you about in part two. Because, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. There's not a Canadian that I haven't known. Um, <laughs> Shall uh, I just give you a couple more? Please. Well, famously, there's also the uh, the Canadian dollar note, which is called? Well, I think you're going to say it's called the loonie. I don't think anybody calls it a loonie. Or oh, do people call the $2 okay. bill the toonie? I don't know. I like the idea of the loonie. That's from the picture of a solitary loon, the bird on the reverse side of the coin. It's a large water bird, isn't it? And it gets its name from its distinctive cry, um, apparently. But... A loon can also be a silly person, and some people think that it is from the bird's actions when escaping from danger. In other words, it's not very good at escaping danger. <laughs> and it might have been, as a bit like the booby bird, if you remember that, the booby mm-hmm. bird easily caught by sailors, hence the booby prize. Uh, but also it might just have a touch of lunatic about it, which comes from the Latin luna moon. Looney, as you say, may not be used anymore. Twoony is the is the $2 coin, just simply because it rhymes with loony and it was a bit of wordplay. Why not? And I love loony tunes. But that's a different thing altogether. What I do want to know about, because this Uncle Jack and Aunt Ede, they sat in separate rooms and Uncle Jack was glued to the ice hockey on television. In Canada, certainly in those days, ice hockey was on from daybreak to midnight. And Uncle Jack would sit there uh, in his kimono with his whiskey. And occasionally, if Aunt Ede was talking too loudly in the kitchen to her friends, she'd say, shut it, woman. Uh, And he'd carry on watching. Ice hockey was everything. So I bet there are wonderful ice hockey terms. Can you give me some of those? Deke. Deke is in there as well. Now, I don't really understand the ins and outs of ice hockey. I know it's incredibly fast, dramatic game. Deke is short for a decoy. So it's one of the sort of um, in-game strategies. Have you ever played ice hockey? I'd actually really fancy it if only I could glide across the ice. It is so fast. It is so furious. And you really do need to be absolutely. My son-in-law, Jason McConaughey, father of my grandson, is quite a, a demon on the ice hockey field pitch. 
ice. Uh, and ice. it's quite quite frightening <laughs> to see, actually. If I was going to be trained up in any sport, ice hockey would be the one. The one downside about Canada, and it's the reason actually my daughter Scythrid came back from Canada, uh, being there with her husband and uh, her son, was the winter. There's yeah. the, the coldness of that winter, the amount of snow. Mm. And there's only so much tobogganing you can do, but it really is cold, cold, cold in winter. Is toboggan a Canadian word? Yes. Again, we have to look back to the Indigenous languages that uh, were there before um, any of us to understand the origin of uh, toboggan. It's from the Canadian French tabagan, but that in turn came from a language called Mi'kmaq. Um, and their word for a sled, very, very old word. And as you say, very necessary given the weather. Again, that sort of, for me, it inspires a sense of kind of real coziness. But you know how nesh I am, and I'm not sure I'd survive the Canadian winter. Well, look, why don't we take a quick break and, and then we can warm up with some okay. lovely Canadian fare. But actually, before we take the break, we need to remind people that we're, not, we're back on stage. With our we live are. show. We've done three so far, two at London's Fortune Theatre, one in Oxford, and our next show is going to be on Sunday, the 20th of November, in London at the Fortune Theatre. Uh, and yeah. each show is proving to be quite different, isn't it? Yes. And if you do fancy it, and we would love to see you there, you can get tickets and info at somethingrhymeswithpurple.com or you can follow us on social media at somethingrhymes on Twitter and Facebook or at somethingrhymeswith on Instagram. And when we come back, remind me to tell you about some of my most wonderful theatrical experiences, which have happened in Canada, in Stratford. They have it, their own Stratford, Ontario, uh -huh. where, believe it or not, I remember seeing in the 1960s the great Maggie Smith, she left Britain for several years and went to Canada and hmm. did some of her most exciting and best work there. We all adore Canada. So more of that and the Jigs dinner after the break. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The Seven every weekday. So follow The Seven right now. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Something Rhymes with Purple. And we've begun our North American tour in the most northern part of that continent, in the amazing, huge country that is Canada. And I mentioned Jig's Dinner, which I think mm. is uh, a Canadian dish. Do you know what it is? Why it's so called? I know this is a new one for me, but apparently this is a bit like our Sunday roast, I reckon, uh, their equivalent. It's a traditional meal that's uh, cooked and eaten on Sundays in Newfoundland. And apparently corned beef and cabbage, sounds a little bit like the German Lapskaus, that was the favourite meal of Jiggs. And Jiggs was the main character in a really popular non-running comic strip called Bringing Up Father. So apparently that was his dinner. So that's what 
Some Canadians, particularly in Newfoundland, apparently call their Sunday, well, I'm not sure it is a roast, but their equivalent. Speaking of Newfoundland, have you seen the show called Come From Away? No. It's the most successful Canadian show, I think, ever created. It's a musical about 9-11. Why why should it be a Canadian show? It's a Canadian show because what happens is, as a result of 9-11, you will remember American airspace was closed down. When those aeroplanes were hitting the tower in Manhattan and attacking Washington, D.C., all the American airspace was closed down and therefore planes had to be diverted. And they were diverted, many of them were diverted, to uh, the town of Gander in Newfoundland because it had been, during the war, an um, Air Force base and there was places where they could land there. So the the show is about an unexpected landing in Gander, which leaves about 7,000 passengers stranded in Canada in the wake of 9-11. And what the show is about is how the Newfoundland community invites these come-from-aways, as they're called, uh, from all over the world into their lives. And at first, of course, they're, some of them are welcoming, some of them are uneasy about it. Uh, and it just is, for me, my money, perhaps the most amazing, magical, musical evening I have ever had. Wow. I saw it at the Phoenix Theatre in the West End. I don't know if it's still running there, but I'm sure it's playing around the world. It is just, well, I mean... It had the most amazing five-star reviews. Uh, it, it's incredible. You should see this piece of theatre. It sounds like it should be a film as, as well as a play. May, I wonder if they have actually... I'm sure I'm sure it will be eventually. Yeah. I mean, it, it's developed over the years. It began in Canada, of course, I think in a school. I think it was one of those sort of school productions that then grew wow. and ended up in New York, won all these tourneys, came to London, has gone around the world. But it is extraordinary. Come from away. Okay, I shall remember that. I do recommend it. Anyway, yeah. it's that you're mentioning Newfoundland made me think of that. Gosh. Any more food things you want to share us with? If you have a double double with your coffee, it's two creams and two sugars. Ah, yes. uh, apparently, you can ask for this in the very popular coffee chain, Tim Hortons. And also nope. in Tim Hortons, you can ask for Tim Bits, which sound delicious. They're kind of small donuts, little ball shaped donuts. So that's going to be straight on my list. You know, it's funny. That's one thing I do remember from my trip as a 13 year old was that A at the end of sentences. And it's obviously, you know, very much a kind of linguistic habit, but it seems to have endured. So do you still notice that when you go to Canada? Don't wish to be perverse, but I don't think I do. But oh, maybe okay. that's because I'm not listening because I'm so familiar with Canada I am not yes maybe listening. it's just not on your radar it definitely was when I was there but it'd be really really interesting to hear from the purple people because you know as so often with these things we sort of end up charting language from 5 10 even 15 years ago because we're always struggling to to catch up we are as Samuel Johnson said chasing the sun and also you've got to bear in mind that my Canada as it were has been changing over the years I mean I first went there when I was a boy, I've, I've kept going back because of family connections. The one thing that's been consistent throughout have been the Mounties, um, <sighs> the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Yeah. They're called Mounties because they're obviously mounted on horseback. And of course, we had the Royal Canadian, they came to the Queen's funeral recently. And in fact, the Queen's most famous horse, the one that she rode for many years for Trooping of the Colour, was a gift from 
Canada. Gosh, there's a nice one here, which I like, which is, you know how beer brands often spark expressions in, in our language. So for example, we've got gone for a Burton, which if you remember, Giles, is probably a reference to Burton's ale, which is a very famous ale. It was in wartime and uh, it meant that you had gone for a drink. And of course, if you ended up in the drink as a fighter pilot, you had gone for a Burton, you had, you had crashed. So a little bit dark, but beer in Canada has given us the Molson Muscle, which I quite like. Molson being a popular Canadian beer brand. And it simply means if you've got a lot of Molson Muscle, can you guess what that means? No, I hate to think. It's a beer belly, is it? Exactly. It's a beer belly. It is. Very good. I've got a quiz question for you. Okay. I mentioned the horse that the Queen used to ride on for Trooping of the Colour. She rode on, se- rode on several horses, but mm. the one she rode for 18 consecutive years from 1969 to 1986 was the one given to her by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. It was a black horse. Can you remember its name? Some people think if it's going to be a statue of the Queen, an equestrian statue, it should be her on this horse. And I like the idea because it gives us that um, Anglo-Canadian connection. Can you remember the name of the horse? Uh, when I tell it to you, you'll kick yourself and say, oh, yes, I knew that. Yeah, no, I can't. Purple people across the globe all saying at the same time. Who <laughs> is shouting at us. Burmese. Actually, yeah. do you know what? That was not on my radar. I don't think I know oh. about Burmese. Well, it's before your time. Most of the things I say are before your time. Don't think I don't know that. Now I need to know about Celine Dion because I have definitely heard of Celine Dion. Come on, spill. I can't tell you too much because, you know, what what happens in the green room stays in the green room. And rather embarrassingly, it was in London that I met Celine Dion. And she is, of course, beautiful. And she's one of the Canadians that we we know, love and admire. Yeah. The other Canadian that I was brought up That's it? Well, yeah. I'm not going to hear anything else? Well... We were close, but not that close. Uh, (laughs) What more can I say? I think when you next meet her, ask her about me. See what she says. If she's ready to spill the beans, I'll be ready to spill the beans. Have you heard of Stephen Leacock? No, fail. I can't bear it. Oh, I can't bear it. You've not heard of Stephen Leacock. I mean, you know, Celine Dion is marvellous and I do. Mm. And she's very, she's beautiful and she's a great singer and she is Canadian. Well, that's fantastic. And I enjoyed meeting her and we got on very well. But I have to tell you, she has heard of Stephen Leacock. Indeed, she said to me that Stephen Leacock was her father's favourite. Does that give you a clue? Uh, That he's Canadian? He is certainly Canadian. No, her father's favourite. Is was he the Canadian equivalent of Val Dunican? Almost, actually. He was basically an entertainer. He was a comedian. He was a, he was a writer. He was a comic writer. But he did do sort of one-man shows. And he was full of witty sayings. The Lord said, let there be wheat. And Saskatchewan was born. He's the man who first said, I'm a great believer in luck. And I find the harder I work, the more I have of it. Anyway, there we are. Hmm, okay. My favourite of his is, I detest life insurance agents. They always argue that I shall someday die, which is not so. So amazingly, when I met Celine Dion, I suppose it was because I was a generation older than her, we talked about Stephen Leacock, our father's great hero. Shall I give you my favourite quote about luck, by the way? You mentioned his saying, which is, luck, like a Russian car, only works when you push it. Ooh, that's terribly good. It's good, isn't it? We promised people that we were going to talk a little bit about Ottawa. And Ottawa is the capital city of Canada. I mean, I'm saying mm. this because I'm the self-proclaimed Canada expert here, but we'll have real people from Ottawa getting in touch to say, the man doesn't know what he's talking about, blithering <laughs> idiot. Um, but Ottawa 
is a very different city, I think, from any other Canadian city. It is the capital. Mm. There's a quietness about it, a dignity, an old-fashioned charm. Uh, are, are there words, though, that come from Ottawa? Well, you mentioned the capital city. Apparently, uh, Cap City is what Ottawa is also known of, which is making fun of the fact that no one outside of Ottawa knows that it is the capital <laughs> um, of Canada, which I like. There's Miss Keen. I'm sure I'm pronouncing these probably a bit a bit oddly, but that is, it means, oh, that's a bit sad. That's a bit sort of pathetic. And it actually is from Arabic um, originally. I told you about all the, the sort of huge number of influences upon all branches of English, really. And it's also behind a Spanish word, mesquino, which means stingy or petty. So you can just see the smorgasbord of languages that come into play here, can't you? Very much so. It's a delicious language. I'm sorry we haven't got more time to spend in Canada, but maybe we'll come back to Canada and we would certainly like Canadians who listen to Something Rhymes With Purple to to get in touch. Particularly, I think, to debate the the irritation they must feel when they are sometimes confused with being Americans to explain to us what the the nuances are, the differences that they feel in their use of language and Mm. Americans' use of language. So if you are Canadian and you want to put us right on anything we've talked about, uh, particularly things like getting the jigs dinner wrong and, you know, not knowing enough about ice hockey, do get in touch. It's purple at somethingelse.com. I've just remembered a, a hockey metaphor as well. We were talking about ice hockey. I was talking mm-hmm. about deking and deking someone out. There's stick handling a problem, apparently. And to stick handle in ice hockey is to control the puck with your stick. But then I think it also means to kind of carefully manipulate a project or an issue if you're stick handling mm. it. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's um, permeated through into slang as well. So I love the way that languages just show people's major preoccupations, particularly slang. You know, the thing that occup- preoccupies us most then gets reflected in the language inevitably. Well, people write to us with what preoccupies them. Who, who have we heard from this week? Well, thank you to the purple people who wrote after listening to our recent episode on bread. Uh, it was called Cobbler. Do you remember we asked them to tell us their names for bread? And Anna Karin Sager from Stockholm... Uh, in Sweden, said rolls are called frala or franska, uh, meaning French, or smafranska, meaning small French. Apologies, Anna Karin, if I'm not pronouncing these correctly. And that the French stick is sometimes called the pain riche. And that is because the baguette was only for the rich, whilst the uh, the poorer members of society tended to eat rye or knekkebrot. And then we've had two Irish purple people write in to tell us about the blah. Now, I remember Colin Murray telling me about this, actually. It's a small, soft, white roll that's particularly associated with Waterford, and that's in the southeast of Ireland, not Northern Ireland, where Colin comes from. And there's also the balm brack, which is from the Irish boreen, uh, which means a loaf and uh, a brack means speckled, so it's a kind of speckled loaf or added sultanas and raisins in it and is associated with Halloween. So thank you for everybody uh, writing in. That was from Phoebe and Colm Costello. So please keep them coming. But we have just also had a message from the purple person, Olivia, and her daughter on this very topic. Dear Giles and Susie and Gully, I love your podcast and often tell my kids about the words and meanings I've learned from your episodes, mainly in the vain hope that by repeating some, it'll help me to remember them. My younger daughter, Leia, who has learning disabilities, asked me to contact you about the word bread bin. We're not throwing the bread away, as in rubbish bin. I'm so thrilled Leia is taking an interest in language. It's demonstrating such progress for her, and I'm really proud. Thank you for your fabulous podcast. 
with best wishes, Olivia. Well, we too are really happy that Leah is taking such an interest in language. And it's the sort of question I don't ask myself often enough, Giles. Uh, So hats off to Leah and to Olivia. Um, And I can tell you that Bin goes all the way back to Old English when it was spelt B-I-N-N-E. It's one of the few words of Celtic origin. And in fact, there's a Welsh uh, word ben meaning cart. And that gives you a clue because the original meaning of bin was a receptacle just in a general sense. So it could be a receptacle for horses, food, or a container for grain or bread or other foodstuffs. And it didn't come to mean specifically a receptacle for rubbish until the mid 19th century. But it's that general sense of something in which you store uh, food, particularly, hence the bread bin, which dates back to that time. Good. We've got time for one more? Uh, We have. And I think this one comes from Rob Green. And he is in Ontario, Canada. Yay. Hi, Susie and Giles. I was listening to a podcast this week, and one of the presenters used the phrase coming down the pike, which hit my radar because I always thought the phrase was coming down the pipe. Do you happen to know if one is right or wrong? Love the show as always. Have you considered taking it on the road or rather to the skies and coming over to Canada for a live show? We'd love to see you both in person. Rob Green, Fergus, Ontario, Canada. Oh, we shall go. we? I've never been to Fergus, Ontario. No, but I would we love to go, go to Fergus, and Ontario. take yeah. purple on the road? Wouldn't that be amazing? Can yeah. we please put that on our bucket list? What's the answer to his question? Because he may not want us to come if he can't give me the answer to this. <laughs> So thank you, Rob, for that. The answer is it is traditionally coming down the pike, uh, not the pipe. And it is a reference to a turnpike, essentially. And uh. roads in the olden days had turnpikes, which were literal spiked barriers fixed across a road as a defence against sudden attack, especially mounted um, attack. And so if you were coming down the pike, you were coming, it's coming down the road. But I like the idea of a pipe. And as we know, that's how English works, is that we kind of substitute words that don't quite make sense. And obviously no one talks about turnpikes anymore. Uh, And a pipe, just if you think about water coming down, a pipe makes absolute sense. And it reminded me of the phrase to pipe down, which actually was born uh, on board submarines where essentially sailors would be told um, and submariners would be told to get to sleep now. And that that message would be delivered down one of the pipes that sort of went from above board right down to below board. So I love that too. But it is definitely Rob coming down the pike. But I do suspect that it might become pipe at some point in its future. Well, keep coming with your inquiries, please. It's purple at somethingelse.com. And Susie, keep coming at me with your three special words each week. Have any of these got a Canadian connections? They don't. No, they don't, because I thought we've been talking about Canadian um, vocabulary a lot. But one that I did think of, because you were talking about the Canadian winters, is Mm. obviously... We're, we're deep in autumn now and there is a chill in the air. And it's always bothered me that there's never actually a word for the smell of autumn in the air, just as there is for the smell of rain, if you remember, after a hot dry spell, such as petrichor. But it got me thinking about fires and two words, one of them from uh, from English in the 13th century and one from Manx. Um, and it's to warm yourself by the fire. And these two words are cloffin, which believe it or not is a verb, C-L-O-F-F-I-N. I'm cloughing by the fire and brabag b-r-a-b-b-a-g which is specifically to warm the back of your legs in front of a fire oh, that's uh, a very useful word 
Yeah, I like it. Mm. Love those. Then I liked the idea just because I came across it the other day. I didn't realise an ex-lex who is not a former lexicographer, <laughs> but an outlaw, someone who is outside the law, an ex-lex. <laughs> I just quite like that. So if somebody is sort of, you know, if you come across a plumber who um, charges, a, a, you know, the world and then actually doesn't fix your boiler, you can call them an ex-lex. And finally, somebody who has no curiosity at all in anything, not the best dinner party guest. They are a fizzy funkus. <laughs> Very strange looking word. And I can't, not sure I can even decode it for you, but it's F-Y-S-I, fizzy funkus, F-U-N-K-U-S. So I just like the idea of dismissing someone and saying, oh, that's such a fizzy funkus. It's a good one. Actually, that's one worth memorising and using. I agree. What about a poem for us, Charles, today? Well, I wanted, of course, to read a poem by a Canadian poet. And there's so Correct. many wonderful Canadian poets. I, I first of all thought of a poem by Robert Service, uh, and I decided against that. I, I, I've gone, I, I, let's cut to the chase. Uh, who do you think is the most famous Canadian writer now? I would say it's probably Margaret Atwood. Yes. And here is the, the opening of a poem of hers called Variations on the Word Love. And there could yeah. hardly be a more universal English word than love. But as you'll see mm. from the way this poem opens, there's so much you can do with the word love. And I'm just giving you a flavour of it with the opening of the poem. This is a word we use to plug holes with. It's the right size for those warm blanks in speech, for those red hearts shaped vacancies on the page that look nothing like real hearts. Add lace and you can sell it. We insert it also in the one empty space on the printed form that comes with no instructions. There are whole magazines with not much in them but the word love. You can rub it all over your body and you can cook with it too. How do we know it isn't what goes on at the cool debaucheries of slugs under damp pieces of cardboard? As for the weed seedlings nosing their tough snouts up among the lettuces, they shout it, love, love, sing the soldiers, raising their glittering knives in salute. Then there's the two of us. This word is far too short for us. It is only four letters, too sparse to fill those deep, bare vacuums between the stars that press on us with their deafness. It's not love we don't wish to fall into, but that fear. This word is not enough, but it will have to do. It's a single vowel in this metallic silence, a mouth that says, Oh, again and again, in wonder and pain. A breath, a finger, grip on a cliffside. You can hold on or let go. Well, I was only going to read the beginning of the poem, but then I thought actually the payoff is in the end. So I, yeah. I went the whole hog. I Forgive me for taking up too much time. No, no, it's gorgeous. We've talked before about how love is, is all, it's, it seems so inadequate. And yes, it's so yet it's so powerful at the same time. We have not sucked Canada dry. Oh, do you remember those advertisements <laughs> uh, oh. saying drink Canada dry? <laughs> it was very sophisticated, wasn't it? And we realised that we have just touched the surface of Canadian English because obviously it is not something we are immersed in every day. So please, if you have 
things to tell us and things to share, please do let us know. Uh, it is purple at somethingelse.com. And if you love the show, please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do recommend us to friends and family. You can find us on social media at Something Rhymes on Twitter and Facebook or at Something Rhymes with on Instagram. And for more purple, there is also the Purple Plus Club where you can listen ad-free and get bonus episodes on words and language. Something Rhymes with Purple is a Something Else and Sony Music Entertainment production. It was produced by Harriet Wells with additional production from Chris Skinner, Jen Mystery, Jay Beale, Teddy Riley, and where is he? Where is he? The ex-lex himself. Golly. Golly.